Hebrews chapter 6. We're continuing our study in the book of Hebrews, and uh, we are at the latter part of chapter 6, and so uh, that is exciting. We, uh, If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, in verses 1 through 12, we've been challenged by our great high priest uh, with what we should do or how we should act. This evening, uh, we're going to look at the pledge or the promise from God to those who are wise uh, uh, with the counsel or with the things that God has entrusted them with. So, Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 13, let's stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, Surely, blessings, uh, blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. So after, and so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening and we're so grateful for the opportunity to study your word. Lord, we thank you, the truth of the song that we just sang, Holy, Holy, Holy. Heavenly Father, we're so glad that you are a three times holy God. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you do not leave us wondering how we can live acceptably before you, but you've given us this wonderful book that you have promised that if we would uh, uh, do the things that are listed here and seek after you that you would give us uh, a life that is filled with peace and joy and that we would have a life uh, where we can trust and abide in you. Heavenly Father, we pray now that you'll bless the reading of your word. Help us as we study this out together and open hearts and minds to receive it. Help us not to preach our own opinion, but help us to preach uh, your scripture. It's in Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen. And amen. Hebrews chapter 6. If you'll remember, just by way of uh, some review, uh, last time we were here, we looked in verses 1 through 12 at how the wise uh, priest will respond to the high priest, how we as followers of Jesus Christ will respond. We would stand on doctrine, we would seek to have our understanding enlightened, and we would serve God diligently. We are told here in the latter part of Hebrews chapter 6 what we can expect from God in return. Look at chapter 6, verse 12, the latter part of the verse. Followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We inherit 
the promises. Now, this is, this is a wonderful truth that we're learning. Now, just pause here, and I want to give you just a quick overview. We've talked about the book of Hebrews. We know who we believe the author of Hebrews is, and that would be the Apostle Paul. We have our reasons for believing that from the references to Timothy, uh, to the timing of the writing and things of that nature. Uh, we remember when we said the writing was, and the theme of Hebrews is the supremacy of Christ, or Jesus is better. We've studied out from this book the different warnings that are given in Hebrews, but if we looked at an overview and the breakdown, then we would see that the first two chapters teach us that Jesus is superior in His person. He's superior in His person. In the first chapter, that He's superior in His person in His majesty. In the second chapter, we see He's superior in His person in His ministry in chapter number 2. Under this portion, this part of Scripture, as we enter into chapter 3, going through chapter 8 and verse 5, we see that Jesus' provisions are superior because of Calvary. His, his provisions that He gives to us as individuals are superior because of the work of the cross at Calvary. And that will be the theme throughout the rest of the book. But we see in chapters 3 through 8 verse 5 that because of Calvary, Jesus is a better Savior. He's a better Savior. Now, they had a sacrificial system, they being the Jews, prior to Jesus Christ. But you see, Jesus is better. They relied on the Lamb on a yearly and daily and monthly sacrifice that they would offer any time they sinned. And yet it would cover their sins, but it wouldn't wash their sins. You see, Jesus is superior because of Calvary, the provisions that He's given us, because He is a better Savior. When He died once and for all, for all mankind, that sacrifice not only covered the sins, it washed them away. He's superior and a better Savior. He is a preeminent Savior. We see in chapters 3 through 4 and verse 13. And then we see His superiority as Savior because of His priesthood in chapters 4 through verses 8, uh, through chapter 4, 14 through 8, 5. Under the section of Scripture that we're in, now all of that was overview, this part of Scripture we're in, we've been studying that Jesus is a better priest. The author has digressed uh, uh, from this uh, point that he's been making that Jesus is a better priest because he is giving us the challenge of the priest, the high priest, Jesus Christ, to the world to save people. We know that this book is written to, from its title, Hebrews. But we learned in the first parts and as our study that this is written to saved Jews. This, this book is written to saved Jews. We also know that prophetically speaking, the book of Hebrews and First and Second Peter will have some very significant truth and power during the tribulation of uh, the elect, the uh, time of Jacob's trouble, if you will. As you can see, that a lot of this has to do with, uh, uh, well, even... 
even in our passage here that we see uh, uh, enduring or uh, obtaining after patiently endured, he obtained the promise. And we see how that would be uh, very specific to the salvation of those who will obtain after they have endured during the time of tribulation because the Bible teaches us that there will be some that are saved. That's why the 144,000 are sent out. The Jews are kept at the rock at Petra. Uh, there they've been brought from the four uh, corners of the earth. Anytime you see that four corners of the earth, it's talking about the whole world. That's what it's referring to. And they're brought during that time. And so Hebrews will have some very significant meaning to those who are in hiding for their lives during this time of tribulation. But the book specifically at its writing was written to Jewish believers who were being persecuted and being tempted and swayed to bring their Christianity back under Judaism and the keeping of the law. Well, if you don't keep the law, you're not saved. And that was the persecution that they were uh, experiencing there. And so we have been given a challenge by the high priest and he addressed the weak uh, in chapters 4 through 6. He's addressed the wicked uh, followers, the weak followers, the wicked followers. And last time we were here in chapter 6, verses 1 through 12, we see his address to the wise followers. And it ends here at chapter 6, and then we'll go on and study chapter 7 and learn something else about Christ as the better priest and the better Savior, uh, Lord willing, next week. But today, what I want us to see is that the latter part of this passage, we are being encouraged that if we are wise followers of Jesus Christ, there is a pledge that has been given to us. There is a promise that has been given to us. God will help those wise followers that are living for Him. Three points tonight and we'll be done. I want to move quickly. I want to get this to you, uh, this information, and I want it to be an encouragement to us. Number one, we see the significant pledge. It is a, we see or learn rather, that it is a significant pledge. The author points the reader to the illustration of Abraham. Look back at our text, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. Verse 14, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. Abraham, the founding father of the Hebrew people, holds a place of great relevance in the heart of the Jews. Turn to Genesis chapter 22. Keep your place here in Hebrews. Turn to Genesis chapter 22. I want us to see this promise that is given. Genesis chapter 22. Look at verse 16. Start in verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said... By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed, as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess uh, the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast... What's those last three words? Everyone read them out loud. 
obeyed my voice. This is a very significant pledge that God has made to Abraham. Abraham being the father of the Hebrew race. And notice when this pledge was given. Notice when this promise, this covenant was made with Abraham. Verse 9 of the same chapter. They came to the place which God had told of him. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. This is the obedience of Abraham. God told him to take Isaac, his only son, the son of promise, to the mount to sacrifice him before God. Abraham getting up early in the morning, because remember, Abraham is much older by now. How old was he when he even had Isaac? Amen. And now Isaac is much older. And as a young lad, taking him there to Mount Moriah, the place of promise that God told Abraham to offer his only son to him, he got up early, got everything together and started going. He did exactly what God told him to do. Because of Abraham's obedience, God made a pledge. He made a promise to Abraham. And that's what we just read here in chapter 22 of Genesis in verses 15 through 18. Because Abraham obeyed his voice. This pledge of God is significant for two reasons. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, look at verse 13. Because he could not swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. This pledge is significant, is significant rather, because it is pronounced true. It is pronounced true. God who cannot lie, swear by himself because he could swear by no greater. This is significant. We must understand this promise that God gave to Abraham. Not only did God protect Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the Hebrew people all throughout, not only is God still protecting them now, but the pledge that he gave to Abraham was significant because it was true. We have to understand that the pledge that God makes is a true pledge. Now, we're, I'm trying not to jump ahead. I want to I get this part done. This is kind of the foundation. It was pronounced true. Look at verse 15. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Not only did God pronounce what he was going to do, but he proved it to be true. It was significant because God said it was going to happen, which is truth because God cannot lie, as we've seen from this very passage. But not only was it pronounced truth, it was proven to be true. Verse 15, he obtained the promise. This, remind, this reminder of God blessing Abraham's faith serves as a great reminder to these saved Hebrews here in this time of persecution when false doctrine and heresy is creeping in. This is a, an astonishing reminder that God will keep the promise offered them through His Son, Jesus Christ. 
And what was that promise offered them through His Son, Jesus Christ? Ephesians chapter 1, ye will be sealed until the day of redemption. Because what are they dealing with? Eternal security. Because what is being taught? What is creeping back in? All the way back to the first week of Hebrews, uh, of the book of Hebrews, what's creeping in? A works-based salvation. Because if they don't keep the, the sacrificial system, if they don't keep the feast, if they don't keep all of these things, then they, they're not really going to be saved. And so they're trying to, the, the world is trying, and rather Judaism is trying to suck them back in to this false doctrine. Because at the death of the testators, we'll see in Hebrews chapter 9, a New Testament goes into effect. And that's what we're under. We're promised once saved, Always saved. And just like God made a promise to Abraham that he would make of him a great nation, not only was it significant because it was pronounced true, it was proven to be true. Proving for all eternity that God can be trusted. Number two, not only was it a significant pledge, but it was a sacred pledge. Look at verse 16. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong Consolation. Now, stop there. When wise men wish to give significance to a pledge, they swear by an oath. When wise men uh, wish to give significance to a pledge, how many of you have heard this? Would well, you swear? Amen? You ever said, and especially kids, they love to say, now I know adults, they say, oh, I don't swear. That's not good. Well, you've, you've mixed up two different things. Amen? Swearing by an oath and then swearing, those are two different things. Amen? When someone says, well, do you promise? How many of you have heard that? Our kids, it's, it's interesting to listen to them. And you'll hear them talking. You'll hear them trying to, to will and deal, so to speak. We talked about car salesmen this morning in that illustration. Amen? And if any of you are salesmen or have family that were car salesmen, I know none of you are car salesmen. Uh, well, I guess, Brother Matt, y'all would fall into that. But y'all don't really sell cars. Y'all tow them and fix them. But y'all don't really sell. But I, I wasn't trying to say that all car salesmen are the devil. Amen? That's not what I was saying. That was just an illustration we were using for unprincipled salespeople. But, but uh, it's interesting to see our children and how they're kind of like little salesmen. Amen? They're willing and dealing with each other. Any of you that have kids that are older and have watched them grow up, you'll hear these things in the background. Well, hey, listen, if you'll give me your chicken nugget, I'll give you three fries. If you'll give me that one chicken nugget. Now, what you don't realize when you're a kid is that that one chicken nugget that your sibling wants is bigger than the three fries that are at the bottom of the crumb of the bag, amen, that they're willing to give you, amen? Oh, but then these words come out. Do you promise? Amen? That, why? Because wise people want a confirmation of a pledge in which an oath is sweared by. They want confirmation. 
Do you promise you're going to? Hey, listen, if you'll clean my room, I'll take out the trash. Do you promise? You see what I'm saying? Why? Because that's what we want as human beings, as flesh. We want a confirmation. We want a guarantee. That's why we live in a day and age. People's word, it's no longer their bond. Amen? Someone could promise something, turn around, and, and then just wipe it out from under you. That's why you've got contracts now. That's why on a ladder, on the side of a ladder, are 50 million different instructions on how to climb a ladder because people need some kind of confirmation. And uh, the ladder people, their lawyers say that you're going to get sued unless you confirm that the person buying that knows how to operate it. Amen? That's the day and age we live in. It's interesting. One commentator wrote, In his, talking about God, talking about this passage, in his kindness and in his understanding of human frailty, God, who cannot lie, nevertheless accommodated himself to human weakness by confirming his word with an unbreakable oath. Did God have to confirm his word for us? No. Did he have to confirm it with Abraham? No, he didn't have to confirm anything. He could have simply said, Abraham, I'm going to do this. And that's it. But no, he went a step further because of his kindness and his understanding that you and I are flesh and that you and I do not keep the oaths by which we promise, by which we swear by. God provided confirmation of his word with an unbreakable oath. Human unbelief is a pernicious thing. We rarely take God at His word. We simply don't trust Him. And it's, it's evident in our lives. Now, we would all, if I said, everyone that trusts the Lord, say amen, then we would all give a hearty amen. We trust God, but we really don't trust God. You see what I'm saying? We know that God will save us if we confess our sins, if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we believe with our heart, confession is made with the mouth, we, we, we repent, we, we believe that God will save our soul. But we don't trust that God is capable of keeping us where He wants us. We don't trust that God is capable of providing when we are hurting. We simply do not trust. From our very upraising... We're taught not to trust. It's just part of life. Oh, don't talk to that person because people might want to take you away. Rob you from mom and dad. We have to teach our children that. Why? Because man is desperately wicked. And it's a good thing. But you see, that pours over into our spiritual life and our children grow up not trusting anyone and they don't trust God either. And that's where we go wrong. We don't trust God. But friend, we have no reason to distrust God. Man has failed us. Family has failed us. Friends have failed us. Co-workers have failed us. But friend, God has never failed you. Ever. Consider that. God has never let you down. Now there may be trials and temptations in your life and you may wonder... I don't understand why I have to go through this or why I had to go through this. But if we take a step back 
and look at the big picture, we can realize that even in those moments where it feels like we're all alone, God has not failed to keep His promise. Not one time. Because God cannot lie. And He promised. He promised. He has proven Himself time and time again. He gives us a pledge that is easy to be understood. And the pledge that is given is a pledge that's given in an unbreakable way. We're told that it is by the immutability of His counsel. Now that word immutability simply means that it cannot change. God is immutable. He changes not. That's what immutable means. Notice the phrasing here. Verse 18. By two immutable things. What are those two immutable things? The immutability of His counsel confirmed it by an oath. The counsel of God is immutable. The counsel of God is immutable. George Washington, I read an illustration this afternoon. I thought it fitting. His father died when he was just 11. And for a long time, young Washington had his heart set on joining the British Navy. However, his mother had some serious reservations about that path and eventually strongly urged him to reconsider joining the British Navy. He listened to his mother's advice, and rather than becoming the captain of a ship, he ended up becoming the commander-in-chief of the entire military force of the United States of America. Much of the course of our lives is determined by the input we get when we make decisions, whether we heed wise counsel when we receive it. Friend, do you understand that God's counsel will never misguide you? Never. Here's some verses. If you want to write them down and look them up later, I'm going to read them to you. Psalm 16, 7. I will bless thee, Lord, who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. Psalm 20, verse 4. Grant thee according to thine own heart and fulfill all thy counsel. Psalm 33, 11. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. Psalm 73, 24, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Proverbs 19, 21, There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. What did God tell Abraham? And what did the author of Hebrews encourage these Jewish believers? Verse 18, verse 17 rather, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel. Friend, you can trust the counsel of God. I don't really know what to do. I don't know what decision to make. Seek God's counsel. Not only can you trust the counsel of God, but He confirmed it by an oath. When God makes a promise, He keeps it. Amen? Friend, can I just share something with you? God is jealous that His Word is to be trusted. Did you know that? He's jealous that His Word is to be trusted. This is why David... Te- look, at, look with me. Keep your place here in Hebrews. Turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. We need to see this. 138, rather. Psalm 138. I want us to see verse 2. We quote it often... Here at Calvary, we'll mention it in passing. It's Psalm 138, verse 2. I will worship. I'll give you a second to get there. I want to make sure everybody sees this. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy what? Everyone read that word out loud. 
word above all thy what? Name. Now wait a second. The name of God is a name that is to be chosen among any name. Amen? What a mark we sing about it. What a lovely name, this name of Jesus. Amen? We sing about the name of God. We worship God. We love and are encouraged when we hear that God loves us. When we hear the name of God mentioned, Jesus Christ, it comforts our heart. And what does the psalmist David say? Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Notice it doesn't just say above thy name, because God has many names. It says above all thy name. People enjoy the, the studies of the names of God. The Jehovah Jireh and Jehovah Nisi and, and, and Elohim and, 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 and Noel. and uh, All of these things that we see in the Bible. God with us. Amen. The names of God. You know what the Bible says? He's magnified His Word above every one of those names. Why? Because His oath, His Word can be trusted. His counsel is immutable. His oath doesn't change. I like what Spurgeon said. If there be anything in the church to which you belong, which is contrary to the inspired word, leave that church. Amen? Could you imagine if that was pronounced across all of the country, across all of the world today? If there be anything in the church to which you belong that is contrary to the word of God, then leave that church. That's why we want to be a church that's built on this book. Not my opinion. Amen? Not your opinion. Because our opinions don't matter. We want to know how God wants this church run. We want to know how God desires this church to be built. And He desires this this church to be built on His Word. And we can trust His Word. We have a sacred pledge. Third and finally, we have a secure pledge. A secure pledge. Back to Hebrews chapter 6. We're almost done. Hebrews chapter 6, look at verse 18. That by two immutable things, that in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We have here the hope that is set before us. The two immutable things, the counsel of God, the oath of God that has been given to us, they cannot change. Because of that, we have the secure pledge. What is the secure pledge? It's the hope that's set before us. That's the secure pledge. Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. 
Friend, the eternal security of the believer is not set in the man-made hope that is drummed up to try to get more people to come to that church because if we say that you can do whatever you want and go to heaven, then that will encourage more people to come here. No, the hope of eternal security is in the promise of the hope of the gospel and the hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world even began. That's the hope. That's what we have. No matter what happens to us after salvation, Christ has been given to us as a hope, which leads us not to just the what is the secure pledge, that hope, but the where is it? It's found in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1. Turn there. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. And one of those next four, four or five words, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, that's not a period, that's a comma that keeps going. Who are kept, you, saved people, are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. What is the secure pledge? It's the hope of eternal life. Where is it found? In Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than and righteousness. Amen. It's the blood of Christ that shed blood on Calvary that washes away sin. It's His burial and His resurrection that proves that He has power and it is the lively hope that tells us that we have nothing to fear, that we can trust in Him because God cannot lie. His counsel and His oath, they're immutable. Why? Why is this given to us? Go back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20, and we're done. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20. Look at the last part of verse 19. Which entereth into that within the veil. Now we know what that's referencing. Two different things. The veil, at the time of Christ's crucifixion, was rent in twain from top to bottom. The veil was there as a way of saying you cannot enter into the presence of God. Sinful man cannot enter into his presence without going through all of these sacrifices, without shedding all of this blood and purifying yourself. You cannot enter in except for the time allotted. And then only one person, only one man can enter in. Jesus Christ died shed His blood, took it into the holiest of holies in heaven at the throne of God and placed it there on the mercy seat in heaven before God the Father and the veil was rent in twain. Now, notice verse 20. Whether the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus. Now, this word forerunner is very important. A forerunner signifies one that has gone before so that the rest of us would follow. That's what a forerunner does. 
Someone who was a forerunner went before. You had the forerunner of the army. They went before and the rest would follow. Jesus Christ was our forerunner. What did he go before? He went into the veil before we could. Making it possible for us to enter in and have access to the holiest of holies where God abides. So we could make our requests, our petitions made known unto Him. So that we could abide with Him. So that we could fellowship with Him. You name it. The veil which entereth into that within the veil. Whether the forerunner is for us entered. Even Jesus. Jesus entered into the veil so that we could have access to follow. Jesus is our example. Jesus is our guide. Jesus is the truth. We follow Him. If we've accepted Christ as our Savior, all the sin's been washed away. Now we have access to enter into the veil where God abides. Consider the picture. Consider what the Bible is teaching us here. Before Christ died, God said, you cannot enter here where I am. You can't. Stay out. I want to abide with you. I will stay in this tent, the tabernacle. I will abide in the temple. But do not enter into the veil. You will die. You can't come in here. You're a sinner. You're filthy. You're rotten. You're terrible. Don't come in. Jesus died. Shed His blood. Now any that accept that free gift, the veil is no longer there to stand to say, you cannot enter in. It's been written twain from top to bottom. God signifying, come home. Follow the forerunner who went before you, Jesus Christ. You've accepted the free gift. Enter into the veil. We talked last week about the veil of Hebron that Joseph left. You remember what we said about the veil? It signifies protection. That's what the veil did. It wasn't simply just to tell us to stay out because God is holy and we can't enter. You know what? It protected man from the holiness of God. It contained the holiness of God within the veil. The veil was rent in twain. The opportunity now for us is not just to come in and abide with God and fellowship with Him, but we get to abide within the veil. Do you know what that signifies? In His protection. As children of God. This is the hope. The hope that we have. That's the sacred pledge. Where it's found is in Jesus Christ. Why it's been revealed to us here in Hebrews is because if we serve God and abide within the veil, nothing can touch us. Nothing can harm us. Nothing can get to us because it'll have to go through God. Do you know what that's called? Eternal security. Eternal security. Friend, there's going to be things in life that happen that I can't explain. There's going to be things in life that are going to hurt you. It's just going to happen. It's a part of life. Amen? 
Things are going to happen that you don't understand why they're happening. People die. People lose their jobs. People lose their spouse. People have heartaches. People have financial situations and troubles and all of these things. But do you want to know the promise of Scripture? There is hope because you can abide within the veil. Because Jesus Christ entered in and made a way so we can follow. That's the hope for the wise followers. Our eternal destination is secure. The hope that we have been given is only available because of Christ. Because He is a better Savior. Every head bowed, every eye closed.